Uh, well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And I'm back from New York City, but I am not tanned and rested. As Richard Nixon once famously said, it was brutal during that heat wave that uh, affected pretty much the whole eastern United States. There were, uh, it was either 90... 95, 100, 105, and there were a couple days where it was 110. That's with the heat index. So it was uh, not fun. I think they had 12 straight days over 90, one of the all-time records. And in uh, further evidence of strange weather, uh, I heard Philadelphia got 8 inches of rain yesterday, (laughs) setting an all-time single-day record. Wow. Uh, these sorts of weather events are probably, alas, going to become more frequent. So enjoy this cool <laughs> climb that we're having here for a couple of days. Yeah, I'm and, sure uh, it's temporary. Of course, uh, Fox News has begun the subliminal shift of uh, climate shift recognition uh, by just pretending like they never denied it. Oh, yeah. And uh, just, oh, this just in. And, of course, the Fox News global media empire was instrumental in promoting uh, the mythology connected to the so-called University of East Anglica scandal back in 2009. Seem to recall that it uh, was also peripherally linked to the eavesdropping of the the Rupert Murdoch's (laughs) media empire. What a guy. What a guy. Uh, So I'm a little light on... uh, Actually being up to date on what's going on in the world. Not terribly light, but I've been traveling a bit. Well, I've been focusing on uh, Nixon legacy uh, issues for the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to him in due course. Just so because uh, I noticed there's an outstanding article in the most recent edition of the New York, Rev- New York Review of Books. The summer edition. Uh, this is a... Usually one of those things worth buying for a variety of reasons. Uh, It tends to be an extra thick copy. And I've only gotten through halfway through it, but uh, there's a great article about Robert Oppenheimer as well. Connected to his uh, situation, a new biography out on him. But James Bamford uh, was one of the first significant people, insiders of the NSA, to write a book about the NSA. So the uh, first article... Of this particular edition of the New York Review Review of Books is they know much more than you think. And this goes into a lot of the details of how the uh, Internet companies and the telephone companies are collaborating with the U.S. government to monitor uh, traffic. Uh, I think the most uh, significant revelations in this article, just to briefly quote it, and of course he's discussing the Snowden revelations and some of this has already been well known to the public back in 2006 on uh, Bill Moyers's uh, public uh, affairs show on television on PBS as well as the outstanding frontline series did some very interesting discussions of room 641A in San Francisco on Folsom Street an AT&T facility uh, that it seems uh, the NSA built a uh, a room above it in which they can directly tap into AT&T uh, phone stuff. 
And this is one of the more interesting revelations that uh, Manford tells us. He says, the key reason, according to the draft of a top-secret NSA inspector general's report leaked by Snowden, is that approximately one-third of all international telephone calls in the world enter, leave, or transit the United States. Quote, most international telephone calls are routed through a small number of switches or checkpoints in the international telephone switching system en route to their final destination. The United States is a major crossroads for international switched telephone traffic. At the same time, according to a 2009 report, virtually all Internet communications in the world pass through the U.S. For example, the report notes that during 2002, less than 1% of the world Internet bandwidth, i.e. international link between Internet and computers, was between two regions that did not include the United States. So this is how the NSA operates, and this, of course, is more of an analytical essay. He's not particularly reviewing a book. I'm sure there will be an avalanche of them soon. Well, he's uh, not the author of that uh, famous book from the late 80s, I yeah. believe, uh, Puzzle Palace. I don't know if it's Puzzle Palace, but he did write a book in the late that 80s. Was really, Puzzle Palace was one of the first very uh, expansive uh, insider looks at what the NSA does and how they do yeah. it. And he, he was a former... Um, I believe he f formerly worked there, but he did write a famous book in the 1980s. He's written three books on the NSA, the most recent being The Shadow Factory, hmm. the ultra-secret ultra NSA from 9-11, to the eavesdropping in America. And, of course, many of the revelations that Bill Moyers relied on on his show back in 2006 were conversations that he had from a whistleblower named uh, William Binney, who worked in, uh, he was a high-ranking, I'll quote uh, Bamford here, a high-ranking NSA official who was largely responsible for automating the agency's worldwide eavesdropping network. And he was a genuine whistleblower. In other words, he <laughs> went on TV and didn't smuggle documents out of some building, just told the public what he knew. Uh, I don't believe there's been any uh, prosecution of him. But it's interesting that in 2004, George Bush told the crowd, nothing's changed. This is on the campaign trail, obviously. By the way, when we're talking about chasing down terrorists, we're talking about getting court orders before we do so. <laughs> And, of course, it's right. the, the rubric of yeah. chasing down terrorists that all of this eavesdropping is going on. We, of course, have recently learned that uh, 11 of the 12 uh, appointees to the FISA court are, were appointed by Nixon, Reagan, or either one of the George Bushes. Kind of surprised to hear that the third in line to the British throne is going to be have George in his name somehow. I'm not too sure what they're thinking about there. George III was kind of a mad hatter, <laughs> I seem to recall. But what's interesting is that the abuses of power uh, from Richard Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover, the CIA, Army intelligence, uh, spying activities, and all sorts of hanky-panky, to use one of Richard Nixon's 
famous lines from the Watergate tapes. The 1978 FISA law was in response, essentially, to the church hearings on... Mid-70s subcommittee. And it's a sort of a spiral, you know, there's a kind of a logical um, sequence of events here. You know, Woodward and Bernstein were investigating Nixon. Uh, Seymour Hersh began to uh, get in on the act, not so much about Watergate, but more about some of the secret activities of the CIA. And, and, of course, he was informed by uh, whistleblowers. Indeed. Insiders uh, with ethical qualms about what the United States was doing in Southeast Asia. So it was a, a, a systemic abuse of power by the government, as we've been talking about. I'm sure you discussed this in recent weeks about the whole Watergate uh, mentality. And it's uh, amazing when you begin to look at the sequence of events that led to Nixon's downfall. Uh, it's really started out in 1970 with the Houston plan <laughs> in which the White House was dissatisfied with even J. Edgar Hoover's uh, methods <laughs> and wanted more. <laughs> Please, sir, can I have more? <laughs> okay, Oliver well, Twist. Well, Nixon essentially wanted his own intelligence agency. Yeah. Uh, and it, in fact, uh, ended up turning his office into its own NSA and uh, it's kind of backfired just a little bit. <laughs> yes, the eavesdropping techniques of the uh, Watergate burglars uh, from the infamous Howard Johnson room uh, didn't seem to be very effective. Well, uh, actually, the, the bugs that they placed inside the Democratic uh, National Headquarters were not all that effective either, because mostly what they heard was secretarial gossip about who got laid over the weekend. <laughs> exactly. So and uh, for that matter, uh, government scrutiny of telephone calls. There's been a couple of reports of uh, <clears throat> recordings and monitorings of, for security reasons, naturally, of uh, phone calls made uh, by U.S. service uh members in Iraq and Afghanistan to loved ones back at home who may indulge in a little bit of romantic fantasy pillow talk uh, thousands of miles away from loved ones. Or perhaps even texting Anthony Weiner. Right. <laughs> so uh, when those sorts of personal, private <clears throat> conversations are open to a wide range, who knows You know uh, to what extent the information is being shared, spread, listed. Etc. Uh, and of course, Anthony Weiner's uh, just uh, just another Weiner in the spectrum here. Yeah, now. he's back in the news with his Weiner, literally. Uh, but we won't talk about Anthony Weiner. Uh, this man has problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't know that eavesdropping is part of it. It seems no, to I be don't think the either. dropping of trousers. <laughs> Right. There's no real. Uh, I mean, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he's doing this anonymously uh, on one level with a fake name on some website. But when you're, you know, putting photographs like that of yourself out there, you may as well just. I mean, this is the digital age equivalent of uh, the creepy guy with the raincoat in the bushes down by the bus stop. Yeah, and didn't he have like some weird handle like Charlie Danger yeah, or something? Carlos. Danger. Oh, Carlos Danger. I'm like, oh, that's great. It's sort of a. a cross between Carlos the Jackal <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield with you know minus the field he'll just yeah. stick to the danger part Carlos of the name. Danger we have to figure out what his Carlos. his middle name is Carlos. exposure Carlos Danger yeah oh, god 
Okay, Anthony. is my middle name. Well, but, it, it'll you know, be fascinating to see how that impacts ultimately the uh, New York mayoral race because it's actually a very interesting race this year. Uh, one thing that I got plenty of while I was in New York City was discussions of the mayoral race. Sure. And because Elliot Spitzer has joined the field for the <laughs> comptroller uh, position. Um, it's turned into the gong show. Now, I think Elliot Spitzer actually, I mean, he, he, he's already admitted what he did. We know what he did. It's not the end of the world. Uh, David Vitter didn't resign from Congress. Uh, he's still serving uh, as the Republican senator from Louisiana. But Wiener's problems are <laughs> in a different realm. Clearly psychological. Uh, and, uh, you know, Spitzer, I think, actually was a competent uh, public official for the most part. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in the New York primary, because they have a number of heavyweights uh, in that race. Um, as for, yeah, the uncomfortability of the situation regarding the, uh, regarding the eavesdropping, Banford writes, I was told by Adrian... Jay Kinney, uh, who in 2001 was a 24-year-old voice intercept operator who conducted some of the eavesdropping, she or her superiors did not have to get a warrant for each interception. Quote, it was incredibly uncomfortable to be listening to private personal conversations of Americans, she said. And it's almost like going through and stumbling and finding somebody's diary and reading it. Indeed. What Congress ultimately is going to do about this is anybody's guess. Um, they've handed over the keys uh, to the uh, insane asylum, to the executive branch of the government as part of the war on terror. And, uh, you know, there are a few members of Congress that seem to be disturbed and want action, but don't expect any action from Congress. Mitch McConnell is uh, in charge of the filibuster. Yeah. Well, it's a little late in day uh, to be upset and all up in arms about uh, government intrusion here uh, once you've signed the Patriot Act. Yeah. So. so. And it's interesting that just uh, this is an item that I saw in the business section of the New York Times a couple weeks ago. Facebook has inadvertently exposed 6 million users' phone numbers and email addresses to unauthorized viewers over the last year, the company said Friday. This is dated the 22nd of June. Facebook blamed the data leaks, which began in 2012, on a technical flaw in its huge archive of contact information collected from 1.1 billion users worldwide. As a result of the problem, Facebook users who downloaded contact data for their list of friends obtained through additional information that they were not supposed to have. These things are always attributable to human error, Dave. <laughs> Indeed, Dave. <laughs> well, and of course, it's the big internet companies and telecom companies, and I use that word, and I will spell it for you, T-E-L-L-Y, telecompanies that uh, telecom companies that are involved in this and these shenanigans. And when you read that nine of them have cooperated with the government's uh, NSA uh, procedures in which they build a 
room adjacent to the actual routers and the optical fiber stuff. It's kind of like plugging in to the Amtrak uh, terminal or something <laughs> when you're traveling on the train. Or like the Fox building a little uh, summer getaway home right uh, inside the hen house. <laughs> right. Why get a warrant when you can just plug in? Uh, this is all kind of troubling. I, I doubt we'll see any prosecutions or serious investigation of the of these shenanigans, but uh, that's par for the course. I am a big advocate of blowing the Internet up at this point and starting over completely. Get rid of all this nonsense that's going on. And uh, I don't, don't know if Facebook created the CIA, but was created by the CIA, but it sure as heck could have been. <laughs> Makes it awfully easy when uh, one-seventh of the planet is connected into one company's uh, technical flaws. Well, it's like the line from the British film, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, where he's talking about how Orwell predicted that... Uh, Big Brother would always be watching you, but Orwell had it wrong. Uh, we're watching him uh, on the television, on the Internet. And so uh, why should they bother surveilling you when people willingly throw all this personal information up online? Uh, and I wonder, uh, we, we don't yet know what the uh, long-term implications of this will be, but there's an entire generation of American children whose... Uh, School records are a, a matter of, you know, digital record now that anybody can access at any time. Uh, we were once told back in the day in, uh, in the 70s, this is going on your permanent record. But, of course, that was later revealed to be uh, just a lot of chin music uh, and an empty threat. There was no permanent record. Uh, now there is. Yes. So uh, if you're caught in fifth grade shenanigans... That may affect you at a uh, postgraduate level. Yeah. And as for the Brain Damage Award of the summer, I had to read this. This is, I unfortunately didn't date this, but this is from the Gail Collins 4th of July quiz, uh, question five. She has a kind of a sarcastic uh, view of politics, including a question nine about Anthony Weiner, but we won't read that one. We'll uh, just read this one. And this is about Texas, where strange things keep happening. It says, the House in Texas recently uh, passed a ban on abortions after the 20th week of pregnancy. In a committee meeting, Representative Michael Burgess, a Republican of Texas, supported the bill by claiming, A, a 15-year-old fetus can masturbate, B, pregnant women have to be protected from their hormone-induced bad judgment, or C, the Republican majority's work expanding health care, nutrition, and education for poor children makes abortion unnecessary. Well, believe it or not, the answer is A. <laughs> I knew it. That's too crazy to just be a joke. We're talking Texas here. This is a man in the Texas state legislature who thinks that 15-year-old fetuses can masturbate. Okay. 15-year-old fetuses. Yeah. <laughs> he gets a brain damage award. and uh, uh, You know, you wonder what he's watching on the yeah, Internet. Exactly. Like, where did, where'd you come up with that one? Um, weird. 
but uh, he's an elected member of the sta Texas State Legislature, obsessed with uh, women's constitutional rights. Shame on you. Well, so I had to read it just because yeah. it's, it's so so bizarre. bizarre. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that one from the seventies. I don't have or the nineties. I don't have it anymore. But it was I remembered it was a North Carolina state legislature uh, Slater that also was a Republican who advocated using Lysol <laughs> after having sex. Why not lemony <laughs> pledge? <laughs> Oh, my God. I was just like, huh? Just start waxing the furniture. He got a brain damage award back then. Oh. It's in the realm of... And by the way, the uh, just as a little follow-up on the Banford article, which I highly recommend, the uh, <clears throat> Nation's uh, July 8th and 15th double edition has a very interesting article by Jaron uh, Lanier, who has a new book out, Who Owns the Future, which is a about uh, computer technology and the NSA program. We'll save Jaron uh, Lanier for another day. We've probably overexposed everyone. Well, it's been a week for that, to be sure, between uh, the... Wiener scandal, if it's a scandal is not really the right word, uh, the indecent exposure in New York, uh, Internet style, uh, and the super glut of over-information on the royal spawning. Uh, it occurred to me, actually, just briefly to comment on that, that uh, the United Kingdom has no Disney. Of course, they can import all the Disney uh, product uh, that they want to, but there is no uh, sort of... Uh, native uh, Disney phenomena in, in England. Uh, but that's really what the royal family is I I at this stage of the game. Uh, it's just a feel-good, lightweight, frothy entertainment uh, for people. Of course, there's lots of folks in England, particularly Scotland and Ireland, I would imagine, who uh, would be very happy to see the uh, English royal family just sort of step off to the side like many uh, European royal houses have. Uh, retain title but no yeah. luxury uh the dutch uh queen for example lives very modestly and it's primarily a ceremonial function um england will continue to have all the pomp and majesty uh because it's just so good for tourism indeed and uh, merchandising and uh and they certainly won't abolish the monarchy in, until at least 2066, because they have a thousand-year anniversary coming up. Right. <laughs> Who wants to miss that? Indeed. 1066 is when so, William the Conqueror. Right, yeah, yeah that's uh, William the Conqueror. So, it's a, a so they're, they're going to retain it till then, no matter what. Don't yeah. make any, any predictions of, of their demise till 2066. Uh, what, I guess, by that point... Uh, well, William will certainly be king, but uh, whether George the eighth, eighth or whatever he's yeah. going to be, who knows? The interesting thing, by the way, of about the um, monarchy in Britain is they don't really have any power except they do have one power, and it's a very powerful position. They can uh, force the government to reorganize. Yes, and they did that most significantly uh, following the fall of France in 1940. This is how Churchill took over mm -hmm. the reins of power 
um, because the monarch did decide that Churchill <laughs> needed to be in charge, not Chamberlain. Um, even this though Chamberlain fellow seems to have misread almost everything that's happened. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and there's a thing about umbrellas. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Churchill and Chamberlain were actually members of the same party. Right. Uh, opponents within the party. Um, but that is the one power they do have that's significant. They can unilaterally decide that the present government is not in uh, Her Majesty's interest yep. at this time. And Queen Elizabeth, I'm sure, will will hang on for probably a few more years. Uh, Charles's reign seems to be short, but uh, William will probably uh, reign for quite some time. Indeed, so I'm sure that's good for the magazine business uh, because somebody has to knock the Kardashians off the cover of all those glamour magazines uh, every once in a while, and uh, the British royal family is there for you. Yeah, well, it's a happy event in some people's lives. Uh, I didn't follow it too much. <laughs> well, certainly not, uh, but... Uh, uh, the, the child is obviously uh, going to be very well taken care of and uh, provided for and so forth, but uh, living in the center of a media cyclone is not something I would want uh, my children to experience. No. And, of course, luckily for him, Prince Harry seems to do a great job of uh, keeping the uh, embarrassing tabloid snoopers and paparazzi uh, busy with his uh, shenanigans there have been a number indeed so many that i won't list them here or now uh another course fascinating story while i was in new york city was the announcement of detroit's bank bankruptcy mm -hmm. then the judge intervening to oh, cite the michigan constitution regarding the uh obligation to fulfill the pension aspects of this whole situation this is f fundamentally uh, from a business perspective at the heart of the problem um but this is a problem that most cities in america are going to have to deal with some are already dealing with this but uh don't think that detroit's alone in this realm of fiscal irresponsibility in which Overpromised benefits are not funded. For the record, this was one of the fundamental reasons why General Motors had to be bailed out. Uh, it would have cost the government $350 billion not to bail out General Motors because that's what their pension obligations were. So when Corker, Shelby, and McConnell, that law firm kind of peripherally re related to Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, we're advocating no bailout uh, on behalf of their constituents, which seems to have consisted of the German automakers and the Japanese automakers. They were talking sheer madness. It was much cheaper to give a bridge loan to General Motors of about $50 billion than have the government have to take over the GM pension obligations that are connected to their subsidiaries and... I believe the number at the time was 650,000 other people. Mm -hmm. So these pension problems need to be more scrupulously examined, I think, by journalists, and the public needs to be 
put more in touch with reality about these problems. Well, you know, promises were made. Uh, the American dream was was premised on uh, the opportunity to uh, get a good job, get a good education, raise a family in a comfortable home, uh, try to set your children up to be better off than you yourself were. And this seemed to be a good working model for a number of decades until suddenly the country's bankrupt and the decision to throw all the workers who've been promised pensions uh, out the window uh, becomes a feasible solution for some yeah. people. Uh, this is no way to treat American citizens. It's no secret that uh, the right has been anti-labor uh, virtually since the beginnings of the, the labor movement. There's a very violent history of anti-labor uh, conservatism here in this country. Uh, Otto von Bismarck had a more progressive uh, labor relations outlook than the American government has ever had, with well, few and, brief exceptions. Yeah, and he was the originator of uh, of basically health care for right. <laughs> his... his his uh, Prussians. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Starting out with the Prussian that, army. Uh, well, sure. you know, workers <clears throat> should just be happy to have a job at all and uh, forget everything that they've been promised. Uh, that's something that a lot of Republicans are saying. You just said, well, they, those were uh, unrealistic promises. Well, uh, they were contractual deals. Yeah. And I think that there are some creative ways that they can solve this problem if people would sit down and start thinking imaginatively for instance hamtramck is in the middle of detroit well it can probably be incorporated into detroit one way or another you could expand the city limits of detroit into some of the adjacent uh downriver communities and whatnot you got to come up with some creative solutions and quit trying to play these sort of social social issue games and the implicit racism involved is 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 quite obvious uh when you listen to the way the media reports the mm -hmm. story uh i think that dave bing and um you know has tried to do an honest he's had an honest approach to the problems um and city council has to come up with some compromises here and there but uh this will be something we'll discuss in the future Thanks to Andrew for engineering this evening here on uh, Gray Matters on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Uh, Yazoo City Calling is coming up next. You know what this is? It's the tool audiologists use to remove harmful wax buildup from your ears. Studies prove that bad music can increase wax buildup, leading to tone deafness, cultural deficiency, hair loss, pellagra, and scurvy. Fortunately, there's Wax Control Formula WCBN. Not only does it prevent harmful buildup, but it improves your sense of well-being, increases your IQ, clears up your skin, and makes you popular. The choice is easy. You can have this, and she's buying the stairs. or this. Tune to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good radio for good audio hygiene. <laughs> 